The following message is from the 2018 IBCD Summer Institute, Loving Wayward Souls. Well, let's say a prayer, uh, and then we'll begin to think about uh, the wisdom shape of, of, of our pastoral counseling. Lord, here we are. Our hearts are open, maybe somewhat closed. Our mind and feelings, our body, our fatigue, and either in a deep way or just the ordinary of the end of the day, we come before you and we're asking, Lord, that you'd enable us to feel your steadfast love. We ask that you would hold our heart, carry our pain, nourish our hope, recover our purpose. We ask that most of all that you would uh, enable us by your spirit to to taste and see that you're good. We ask that, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, in the uh, workshops that we'll do here uh, today and tomorrow, I'm thinking about how uh, the wisdom literature of the Bible in general, and the Lord Jesus in particular as, our, as the one greater than Solomon, how that shapes the way we think about wayward souls pursuing the wayward and how we think about what that means about ourselves. And the very first thing we want to talk about is that when you enter the wisdom literature, uh, the welcome that it brings. And uh, perhaps we overlook that because uh, the wisdom literature is foreign to a lot of us. If you're a, a melancholy like me, it's my favorite parts of the scripture. I, I'm thankful to God that he wrote Ecclesiastes for us. Um, but for others of us, it's bewildering. And uh, we don't know what to do with Job um, or Ecclesiastes. Uh, somewhat with Proverbs, we're not sure. I remember someone, uh, this was years and years ago before I was married, they, I was actually counseled not to read Song of Solomon until I was married. And so uh, we don't know what to do with, with these books. But the first thing that you want to know about them is that they welcome you no matter who you are. They welcome you no matter who you are. When you come into the wisdom literature, you don't have to know anything about King David. You don't have to know anything about Moses. You don't have to know anything about the covenants, um, Egypt, Pharaoh, nothing. None of that is assumed in an explicit way. It's certainly assumed in an implicit way. But if you think about that, if you read Isaiah or Jeremiah or something like this, you're going to have to deal with covenants, Abraham, Adam, Eve, etc. You have to know something about the history of Israel in order to read and understand those books. That is not the case with Proverbs or Ecclesiastes or Job, for example. Song of Solomon. It's for anyone. It's because rather than starting as a Christian, if you will, or a covenant uh, follower, or rather than starting as a believer um, in an overt way, the wisdom literature brings as our starting point are being human. I'm a human being. And so when uh, Solomon declares meaningless, meaningless, 
Life is meaningless. Or he says, I, hate, I hated life. Um, this is wisdom literature. Uh, he, he's not a doubter or a skeptic or a cynic. He's teaching you about life from the vantage point of the fear of the Lord. And he's teaching you the language of faith. That we look out at life under the sun, once Eden, and it's not Eden anymore, and we give appropriate language to what we see. And so uh, uh, the wisdom literature doesn't edit the world. It takes it as it is. And so um, uh, from a wisdom posture, your disposition in mind, and it, this isn't natural, but the grace of wisdom teaches us to have a disposition of openness to any human being, no matter who they are, that we offer them the welcome of wisdom, which ultimately is what Jesus, the fulfillment of all wisdom, by the way, our Lord, uh, you can, we're all old enough, you can disagree with me. But I just ask you to consider, for no extra charge, as a side note, slight rabbit trail, uh, an, under thing, an underpinning, I'm assuming, to talk about this stuff over here, uh, that our, a guy named John Calvin helpfully said that Jesus is our prophet, priest, and king. I'm thinking, respectfully, he forgot one. And so have we ever since. And that's the sage. That Jesus, the one greater than Solomon, has come. And Jesus is our wisdom, the Apostle Paul tells us plainly. And so whatever we see in the wisdom literature is likewise fulfilled in the person of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Prophet, priest, king, and sage. But that's for another uh, time. So I'm back over here now. And the welcome of wisdom. So if you and I are sitting together, and I'm coming from the vantage point of the wisdom literature, I'm going to begin my uh, conversation with you not as... Uh, uh, a Christian in the sense that I'm requiring you to understand everything I understand before we can talk. I'm gonna, my starting place with you is as a fellow human being, and we all read the same news today. Whether we're a Christian or a Muslim, a Hindu or an atheist, we woke up, and if we read USA Today, we saw the same headlines. And we live in the same generation and we hear the same songs uh, and encounter the same newscasts. The same weather that comes into our locality happens to everybody, no matter who they are. And so the wisdom literature starts there. Welcome as a human being. Uh, we bow before God as a creature and before each other as fellow creatures. Uh, James reminds us of that, the New Testament wisdom book where it says we bless and curse human beings who are made in the likeness of God. Brothers, it ought not be. So we begin, I'm a human being and so are you. I have longings and so do you. Longings about love, questions about time, dealing with pain, questions about God, this melody in my heart that likes music, trying to figure out relationships. 
how to deal with weather, what to do with government, what's the role of art. I just have all the same questions you do as a human being. And that's where we begin. Now that's very freeing, and we could take about three months just to talk about this little thing. Because a lot of us are going to great lengths to read lots of books and get lots of training about how to talk to other than Christian people. Even though most of us were once other than Christian people. And it's sort of like we think, oh my goodness, we have the whole world in front of us, but we don't know what to talk about. Why is that? You have the whole world in front of you that they experience too. You have a whole lot to talk about. Being human under the sun and what it's like. There's a lot of common ground to share conversation about being human under the sun. So that's the place we start with dignity, not going to bless or curse, uh, not going to curse a human being made in the image of God. And no matter what They're seeing the same headlines we are, and that's our starting point of welcome. Now, our Lord Jesus starts there. Now, I'd like you to think about something for a moment. Think about the trajectory of how the Lord Jesus welcomed people and how He talked to them. We're going to talk more about talk tomorrow, but how He welcomed them. Uh, If If you were to read the Gospel of Matthew, you hadn't read it for a while, or it's the first time you're reading it, you know what would uh, shock you? It's chapter 23. If you're just reading straight through, and you're just trying to understand who this Jesus is, uh, chapter 23 is going to rock your world. And the reason is, because in chapter 23, suddenly, Jesus starts to yell And he's not yelling uh, because he has a temper tantrum. He takes up the mantle of a prophet and he begins to say, Woe to you. Woe to you. Woe to you. If I didn't want to scare who's out there, I would go ahead and yell because it's a full grown man. Don't tame it, don't make this tame. This is a full-grown man, the Son of God, yelling, woe to you. Here's the thing, though. That's like two and a half years in. That's why it's shocking. Because he doesn't talk like that for two and a half years. Two two years and three quarters, depending on how we're, we're dating this. Do you know what I'm saying? Like when it all begins, no matter who you are, a critic Curious, questioning, committed, complaining, no matter who you are, Pharisee, Sadducee, someone in the government, ordinary fisherman, uh, whoever you are, he just talks to you. Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. There are two kinds of houses, one built on rock, one built on sand. A father had two sons. It's like a woman searching for a coin in her couch. He's just talking like this. That's why chapter 23 would rock your world. You've never heard him speak like this. There was a moment, kicked over a table, cracked a whip, weren't quite sure what that was. But that was a blip, an anomaly, not the norm. As he goes along, uh, hard-hearted folks 
the fool and the scoffer. He begins to shift the way he talks to them. In the beginning, open posture, welcome, fellow human beings, no matter who you are. Eventually, the Lord starts to tell parables. We're told plainly why he tells them. He tells them because of the hardness of the hearts of some of his listeners. A parable forces you into a conundrum, a puzzle. It forces humility. A parable uh, is poetic speech. Poetic speech is a wisdom thing. A parable causes you to scratch your head and say, I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) And then you have to humble yourself and go to the teacher and ask the meaning. It has to be interpreted for you. So you see that happening with the disciples. Tell us what this means. Or he'll take them aside afterward and he'll just tell them. Uh, The Pharisees will not humble themselves and ask. So parable, 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 parable. They're not asking. They just continue to harden with him. He heals someone and they get mad. What kind of disproportionate response is that? They're escalating and he's doing nothing to escalate it. You ever experienced that in your life? Maybe in an email. (laughs) Have you ever done that to someone? They did nothing to escalate it, but you're... Yeah, well, that happened there. Eventually, he's born with them. Open welcome. They begin to scheme and connive, show themselves scoffers and fools. Parables to win them, to invite them to humility. They continue to harden. They continue to harden. Woe to you! Now he's the prophet. All right. Wisdom speech, ordinary speech, priestly ways of relating to you. You're not hearing it. You don't want anything to do with it. Fine. Here it comes right between the eyes. Woe to you. Now here's the thing. The judgment is definite, but it's not his default. We're talking about wisdom welcome. And I'm asking you to consider that the Lord Jesus' voice does not default with woe to you. That's not where he starts. I'm saying that because a lot of us start there. Not everyone here. But a lot of us. The prophet is the primary voice of courage and boldness and strength in our imagination. So we assume that in order to be faithful and true and trustworthy when we're sitting with someone, we got to knock them between the eyes. Woe to you. I'm asking you to consider this question. If that's what we're supposed to do, why didn't Jesus do it? I'm asking you to reconsider Jesus. I'm asking you to go back and read the Gospels. I'm asking you to show me that his default voice is to strike you right between the eyes verbally. I'm challenging you. Because the Lord Jesus didn't talk like a prophet as a norm. He talked like a sage, like a priest. 
And then he brings the prophetic voice <laughs> after two and three quarter years of bearing with, 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 bearing with. All right, woe to you. Now others of us don't think the Lord Jesus would ever say woe to you. So that's a wholly other conversation. He will to win you if we're showing ourselves to be the fool, if we're showing ourselves to be the scoffer. Uh, a fool and a scoffer can't be reasoned with. Woe to you. Warning. That's not the worst of it. The worst part for a scoffer or a fool is when the Lord Jesus, on the other side of all those woes, is in front of Pontius Pilate. And Pilate says, your accusers are here to accuse you. Don't you have anything to say? And Jesus says, nothing. That is the most frightening place to be where Jesus no longer seeks to win you with his words. Because you're three years in now, he's talked to you like an ordinary human being. He's talked to you like a sage. He's talked to you like a prophet. You'll have none of it, so... You get to just be with yourself and have what's in you and he won't say anything now. To be in ever, ever be in a spot of being given over like that is a frightening thing. We don't know. Is that part of what roused Nicodemus' heart? I don't know. Can even the silence of the Lord after bearing with you, can that win your wayward heart? Yeah. Nicodemus comes forward at, at expense of his own reputation, putting himself in jeopardy, asking for the body with Joseph to bury him. What did that? How did that happen? He was the guy afraid, only coming to see Jesus at night. All I'm saying is the welcome of the Lord is the default disposition of the Lord. And what would it be like for us, and that's not our default, <laughs> uh, when our default is woe to you or silent treatment. Like we start that month one. We start that day one, like right off the bat. Woe to you, silent treatment. Uh, what's it like for you to grapple with the Lord Jesus who holds off on that for like two, two and a half to three years in relationship with a fool? So we're grappling with that big question, and that takes another six months to work that one out. But here we are. So the welcome comes. You don't have to know anything about uh, redemptive history in the Bible. Uh, the other thing is he's going to use poetic speech. The benefit of poetic speech is that it slows everything down. That's why a lot of us don't like it. But to give us a proverb, to give us a poem, uh, we have to pause and reflect 
hear it again, read it again, chew on it, think about it. Imagine this. Um, you come up to the Lord Jesus and you say, Jesus, I want to follow you wherever you go. Now, if someone came up to me like that and said, I want to follow Jesus wherever he goes, I'd be like, let's do this. You know, like, all right, wow. What's amazing is in the New Testament, you'll remember it as I mentioned it to you, the, the man who came to Jesus said, Jesus, I want to follow you wherever you go. And do you remember the Lord's response? A riddle. Foxes have dens, birds have nests. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Pause. And then Jesus says nothing else. That's what you're left with. You're that guy. I'll follow you wherever you go. Foxes have dens. Birds have nests. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's really, 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 really different than what a lot of us are accustomed to. Invitation to pause, reflect. When you come into the wisdom literature, it's like that. You just can't figure everything out right away. Uh, it slows everything down, which means there's room. The prophet just comes in and says, woe to you. No discussion, nothing like that. The, the sage says, who has woe? And now there's conversation. There's reflection. And so this welcome... Uh, doesn't start with woe to you. Doesn't start with silent treatments. It starts with fellow creature, creatureliness, talking about the world that all of us experience, no matter who we are, and welcomes us uh, into an invitation of conversation about those things. Now, uh, um, if you're the wayward person, uh, this is good news. If you have a wayward soul like me, this is really good news uh, because um, we're being invited and we're being talked to. That's the other thing. When you look through the wisdom literature, um, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job, for example, um, the four kinds of wayward soul are all talked to. And all of them have invitation into a community of wisdom. So let's remind ourselves of the four kinds of wayward soul. So what we just talked about was main point number one. The default position of welcome. Because you have dignity, you've been made in the image of God and are not meant to be cursed. Because you're a human being and you experience life under the sun just like any other human being. And God speaks like a sage sometimes, as a matter of fact, a lot. Woe to you in the silent treatment is reserved for having borne with someone and discovered them to be a fool or a scoffer and having tried ever, uh, every other means to win them. This is what you now have to do. And we're asking some of us who want to start with the woe to you in the silent treatment to consider that there's a whole new world waiting for you with the sage welcome of Jesus.
second move, second point now. What, uh, who, what are these conditions of waywardness that the wisdom literature uh, will talk to us about? What kind of souls are there? So I'll remind you of that. Um, the first is the troubled soul. So if you read through Job and Ecclesiastes and uh, Proverbs, you'll hear things like this. Psalm 143, verses 3 and 4. For the enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore my spirit faints within me. My heart within me is appalled or Psalm 88, 3, my soul is full of troubles. Or if you read just Job, Job just riffs on the soul <laughs> over and again, giving description to the troubles and pains in his soul. He is bitter in soul with terrible loss, multiplied troubles, full of pain, feeling abandoned, cast out by God, receiving the double wound. Not only does Job suffer, but friends in the name of help harm him all the more. You ever had that happen? Friends in the name of help give you the double wound. You're blind Bartimaeus on the side of the road. Son of David, son of David, have mercy on me. And the Jesus crowd walking by says, shh. So there you are with the need itself. And then Jesus people telling you to, be quiet, just a double wound. The Lord Jesus comes over to you and says, what do you want me to do for you? You know, Job, there he is, the double wound. He's hurting already. <laughs> and the friends in the name of God make it worse. So there's the wounded soul, the troubled or wounded soul. And the trouble or wounded soul, if you were to say that wisdom, wisdom would say weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice, right? The wounded soul will say, I have no strength for those who weep, no ability to smile with those who rejoice. And if that person is sitting in front of you, how do we respond to them? Well, we give the grace of wise consolation. Psalm 94, 19. Psalm 94, 19. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. The troubled soul doesn't need our rebuke, doesn't need our correction, not as a default. The troubled soul, the wounded soul, needs the consolations of the Lord. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I think it's verse 14. I'm going by memory there. I'm getting older, so I should check. Make sure that's really what it is. <laughs> uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 14. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, Help the weak, be patient with them all. What verse that again? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. Admonish the idle, 
Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. Notice a couple of assumptions. Number one, the Apostle Paul assumes that we are listening enough and discerning enough that we recognize who we're dealing with. We recognize the condition of soul we're dealing with. Notice the second thing is that we are not meant to admonish the faint-hearted or the weak. We are not meant to admonish the faint-hearted or the weak. That verse uh, is as much a part of the, uh, inspired Scripture as justification by faith alone or the verses about the inerrancy of Scripture. That verse is for our obedience too. So we're not meant to admonish the troubled soul like Job's friends did. We're meant to encourage the faint-hearted, to help the weak. Uh, that means we're not meant to encourage the idle or help the idle. And then he says, and this is humbling, be patient with them all, no matter what, no matter who you're dealing with, whether they're a uh, needing admonishment and correction or the needing encouragement and help, be patient. That's what we... How did Saul of Tarsus learn patience? How did he learn to even talk like that? It's Jesus. Jesus has a way of bearing with. And so there's the troubled soul, the wounded soul. When we're sitting with someone, we're asking the question, what does it mean, Lord, to welcome the wounded soul Jesus who said to the sick and the oppressed and the sinned against, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are, right? Don't grow weary in well-doing. It's the consolation and comfort for the wounded soul. So the reason wisdom literature will be a help is because it will slow some of us down. It'll slow our prophetic default down, perform our silent treatments of judgment down, bring to the forefront a discerning disposition to ask the question, what kind of soul am I dealing with right now? And if that soul is faint-hearted or weak or wounded, then wisdom comforts it brings consolation. And you're already beginning to see what wisdom assumes, that there's no formula. You have to discern and pay attention. And so, the wounded and troubled soul. Have you been wounded and troubled in your life? I certainly have. Have you had Job's friends come to admonish you, come to correct you? Uh, I just want to try to say, that's not the Lord. I know they did it in His name. But that's not how the Lord would relate to you. He weeps with those who weep. He doesn't, he doesn't say, teach those who weep, instruct those who weep, condemn those who weep, correct those who weep. Weep. Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice, which again assumes that we've slowed down long enough to pay attention to who's in front of us so that we know if they're weeping or if they're rejoicing. 
and we're paying attention to the dignity of the soul in front of us and learning how to respond. Well, there's a lot more to that, but let's go to the next uh, condition of soul, the wayward soul. We go, we go, we're wayward. We struggle because we've been sinned against and there's pain that comes against us. Uh, and then there's the, the simpleton. Uh, the simplistic soul. Um, the simplistic soul uh, is naive. That means they're clueless, they're gullible. Uh, either because they've not been taught, they don't know any better. So there's a reason that we say, look both ways before you cross the street. Well, you say that, I always think somebody learned to say look both ways. I wonder if the first thing was, hey, look before you cross the street. That didn't work. <laughs> they had to learn to say look both ways before you cross the street. I don't know. I guess that's dark humor. Uh, because you don't know any better. So there are some things you don't know because you've just never been taught. And you're dealing with souls sometimes, and they don't know what you know because they've never been taught. You see, the prophet just assumes they've sinned. The prophetic voice, I should say our caricature of a prophet, assumes that. The actual prophets don't assume that. But we take up that mantle and go right at someone. But sometimes folks, folks just don't know, particularly if you're living in cultural pockets that are increasingly uh, with, with um, unchurched and pre-churched people, which is happening more and more in our country. People that haven't been taught, they don't know. Uh, it's Augustine who reminds us in his book On Christian Teaching. He talks about teaching you know, we explain, he would say instruct. We instruct, we please, we would say illustrate, and we move people, we'd say apply the scriptures. He says some people don't have to be moved. To try to move someone, uh, to exhort someone, is because they already know, and they're not doing what they know. Augustine reminds us some people, they've just never been instructed. You set the teaching in front of them and the whole light bulb goes off. You don't have to try to move them. The instruction was enough. So we're discerning. So the simpleton is naive and gullible. The other thing about the simpleton is they're stubborn. So it's either because they don't know or because they have had the opportunity to be taught and they just resist it. And so uh, the thing about the simpleton, I'm just going quickly. There's a lot we could say. Uh, but the thing about the simpleton in the, in the wisdom literature, the simple, the simplistic, is not only are they gullible and they take time to learn. So that's most of us, right? Uh, they don't connect dots. They're clueless. Um, the thing is, the simpleton has to learn the hard way. And that is not a compliment. 
regularly, the simple is contrasted with the wise in this way. If you confront a person who's wise, they will receive it, learn from you, and thank you. Because the wise are humble. They receive instruction. They're grateful for it. And they grow. The simpleton uh, will not (laughs) receive instruction and grow. There's just things, ah, I don't know if I need that. That's just for them. It's not really wise. It's not from God or whatever. Uh, And so verses like this, Proverbs 19.25, describe the simpleton. Strike a scoffer and the simple will learn prudence. And we've not talked about the scoffer yet. But the simple won't learn just by instruction. Ah, it would sure be nice if it was that way for us, wouldn't it? And for those we love, our kids or friends or co-workers or whomever. A simpleton has to see something hard happen. Consequences that shake them. And then finally, they learn, (laughs) right? So there's a lot of hope for the simpleton. Most of the disciples are simpletons. The simple. Uh, And so there's this grace of wise consolation for the troubled soul. But if you're dealing with the naive and gullible or the stubborn who have to learn the hard way, then what's offered to them is the grace of wise invitation. Consolation for the troubled soul, invitation to the simpleton. It's continually, that person is just continually invited Uh, Here's how it sounds in Proverbs 9, verses 4 through 6. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here to him who lacks sense. Come, eat of my bread. Drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways. Live, walk in the way of insight. Come on. Let's try again. It's still available. You know, invitation. This is the woman at the well This is the disciples. We're reminded that uh, all of us have wounds. All of us are simple. Um, And this invitation comes to us. Learn. Where did I put my, that thing? There it is. Aha. So, another, the third Soul, Dave Harvey began to unpack this a little bit for us. The fool, the foolish soul. It's not always easy to tell if we're dealing with a simple soul, a simplistic soul, or a foolish one. They look similar. But if we had time, we would see that the simpleton struggles with envy. It's an immediate gratification. What makes, it, what makes them slow to learn and have to have something hard for them to, until they learn is because they just want quick fixes. The simpleton will look for anything. That's what makes them gullible. 
the newest church fad, the, the, the newest philosophy, the newest uh, weight loss, the newest whatever. It's always the newest. It's always what's trending. It's always if I could just get the thing. I don't have to surrender to discipline. You know, the discipline in the most positive sense, like to learn how to play the piano. That's just hard work. I don't want to have to surrender to that. I just want to be able to play. And so the simpleton has that constant thing. The fool is angry. The simpleton gets angry, but they're not reactive and volatile. The foolish person is just a fight waiting to happen. Defensive, reactive. The foolish person can't receive instruction. They're always telling you their own opinions. They give you answers before they've asked any questions. And they're reactive. You learn with a fool not to bring up something. And I don't mean, I mean disproportionate reaction. Uh, um, the, the child draw, you know, spills milk. And the level of immediate anger is so far over the top with, you have to ask yourself, man, if someone like broke in here and was doing something to your family, like where, where do you go? Like you're already at level 10 with anger with the spilled milk. Where do you go from there? You are so disproportionate in your response to the thing that's happening. What is going on? That's a foolish person. And how you know it's a foolish person is because if you try to bring that up in the most gentle, sage-like, priestly, ordinary, out of love for you way, you get crushed. They'll turn it on you and you're to blame. So a fool, a simpleton will eventually learn. <laughs> they, just, they just have to do it the hard way. A fool will refuse. The simpleton has invitation in the, in the wisdom literature. Come to me. The fool doesn't have that invitation. Because uh, the foolish soul is angry, self-absorbed. A fool, this is Proverbs 18, 6 through 8. A fool's lips walk into a fight. His mouth invites a beating. A fool's mouth is his ruin. His lips are a snare to his soul. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go in the innermost parts of the body. Angry, self-absorbed, listens only to themselves, love their own talk, unteachable, defensive, reactive, trusts only their own judgments. No empathy unless it relates to their own story or advantage. So if you're like um, the simpleton, uh, if we said, you know, weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice, uh, the simpleton is, uh, is going to say something like, um, rejoice with those who weep. Weep with those who rejoice. A simpleton's just glad they don't have to weep. Phew, I'm just going to be happy. Because I don't want to get into all that. A simpleton has to learn the hard way. So they don't want to get out of that. They like sing songs to a sad soul. Hey, just lighten up. 
quick fix, immediately, can we just move on? I don't really want to go into all of that stuff. I mean, come on. Life's too short. Let's live. Simplistic, trite phrases, cookie cutter, uh, fortune cookie ways of dealing with life, quoting Bible verses. Remember, have faith. But really what I'm doing is I'm uh, holding my own uh, absence of control at arm's length. I would have to trust the Lord in a deeper way if I allowed you to have your negative emotions. And I don't want to do that. So here's a Bible verse. Here's a tone of voice. That's the simpleton. I'm just happy I'm not sad. And they weep with those who rejoice because they're envious. You're happy. Well, what about me? Very difficult for a simpleton to allow someone else to have some joy. A simpleton takes it as a loyalty statement, like as a personal offense that someone else would be happy. Because then they think to themselves, what about me? Why don't I have this? Why can't I do that? Why can't I? And doesn't connect the wisdom that this person's life with God is separate. It's not saying anything about me, which is the problem for the simpleton. The simplistic soul. Invitation. The foolish soul. Confrontation. Consolation comes to the troubled soul. Invitation to the simpleton. Confrontation to the fool. Uh, if we had time, we would walk through exactly how you do that from the Scriptures themselves. I'll just say it quickly. Confrontation. First, we declare. We say gently but plainly, this isn't what wisdom does. The Proverbs are just full of that. The Proverbs clearly declare what is wise and what isn't. So we do that. We say to someone, this isn't wise. This isn't what wisdom would tell us to do. Uh, you know when you say that, you're about to get hit with a verbal barrage. And so your default position as a creature, made in the image of God, as a human being, given the welcome of Christ, just like the Lord Jesus did uh, with us, <laughs> Uh, and then we describe, this is what will happen if you continue. So lots of Proverbs tell us that. Folly will suffer harm. Folly, will, you'll be disgraced. Folly will bring ruin. Lots of examples of that. This is how folly will negatively affect your life. Confrontation. De uh, declare it. This isn't wise. This is going to bring harm to your life. It, look at the results. It's going to be damaging. Third part of confrontation is questions. How long will you resist the wisdom that would heal and mend us? Why, why would you do this? Psalm 94, 8, for example. Ecclesiastes 7, 16 and 17. Is this really what you want? Is, is, and it's a question. And then finally, extraction. Boundaries with a fool. Boundaries are set with a fool. Proverbs 14.7, leave the presence of a fool, for there you do not meet words of knowledge. 
with the full confrontation, no, that's not wise. This is going to work out badly for us. Is this really what we want? Don't we want something else? I'm going to hang up now. I love you, but I'm going to hang up now. To talk to me this way isn't wisdom. I love you. Click. Leave the presence of a fool. Is it ultimately leaving? No. But it's setting a boundary for when a fool is bringing their barrage of anger and defensiveness and reactivity. See, even a simple person will be able to give and take. They'll be able to receive what you're trying to say. They'll give you a category for making some mistakes. You know, they just won't connect dots. (laughs) They'll just kind of remain clueless. Oh, thanks for telling me that. Yeah, I shouldn't cross the street unless I look both ways. (laughs) Cool. So, you want to go get some ice cream? And then they'll go out and not look both ways and walk across the street. A fool is, how dare you talk to me like that? Who are you to tell me how I should cross the street? And then a fool will take you on. They'll, they'll, They'll pick at what's a weakness in you. They'll completely turn the table. So now we're in the territory of moving toward um, uh, the foolish uh, soul. I want to make sure I say that out loud to you. Instead of weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice, the foolish soul says, correct those who weep. Dismiss their rejoicing until they rejoice in me. With a fool, it's basically like this. If you would just change, I would be fine. All this stuff you're trying to talk about, this is all you. I'm fine. I have this struggle that a biblical fool, you know, fool knows the Bible is the worst kind. Quote this first quote, I know I'm a sinner, but what about you? Turn it on you. Uh, This is painful because I'm a fool. I'm a simpleton. And I'm wounded. Finally, uh, the scoffer. This is evil. This is just the evil uh, soul. Uh, Excommunication. So, consolation for the troubled soul. Invitation to the simpleton. Confrontation to the fool. Excommunication to the scoffer. The scoffer uh, is this, Proverbs 21.10, The soul of the wicked desires evil. His neighbor finds no mercy in his eyes. The scoffer mocks God. I I don't mean uh, doesn't believe in God. I mean, uh, I don't mean a comedian who makes jokes about God as an atheist. I mean ridicules mercy. The scoffer finds pleasure in meanness. The scoffer delights in destruction. Whoever corrects, this is Proverbs 9, 7 and 8, whoever corrects a scoffer gets abuse. He who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer. He will hate you. Reprove a wise man, he will love you. Right? 
There's no truth, Psalm 5, 9 and 10. There is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. Proverbs 17.5, Whoever mocks the poor insults his maker. He who is glad at calamity will not go unpunished. The fool is act, uh, angry, reactive, defensive, self-absorbed, but the fool doesn't say, I love to see people hurt. I just love it. The scoffer loves it. Uh, if the fool says, you know, correct, uh, correct those who weep, um, rejoice as long as they rejoice in me. The scoffer says, hurt those who weep, take the joy from those who rejoice. This is, at its worst, a uh, Hitler. At its most scary, it shows up in you and me too. When our silent treatments are cruel and no empathy, no ability to feel what it's like to be a creature, a human being in that setting, and we mercilessly mock someone's worst and delight in it. So the scoffer, this is the first thief on the cross. Oh my goodness. He's looking right at Jesus. He's being punished for everything he's done. And he's spewing at Jesus. This is Herod, Antipas. I think it's Antipas. So I'll have to double check that. Herod, where the Lord Jesus, maybe some of you will remember that, where the Lord Jesus goes, Pilate sends Jesus there. Herod wants to be entertained. It's all about his own delight and pleasure. And then willingly sends Jesus on his way this is the Pharisees. They seem like fools, but then they gradually begin to scheme how to kill him. They're shifting from the fool to the scoffer. Couple things. Can you see how this could happen? A wound. Someone says, I'm not going to look at that. It moves into the realm of symbolism. They begin to harden and get angry about all that with no gospel provision. They start to become a fool. And if that stuff goes unchecked, it can grow into a bitterness to where now I'm just delighting in hurting somebody. The scoffer has to receive uh, judgment. It has to receive. There's no more arguing. There's no more reasoning. So now we're back to where we started. Do you remember when we said our Lord Jesus, He's just welcoming any kind of soul at face value. Gradually, as the different kinds of souls are discerned, He's relating to them appropriately. And two and a half years in, uh, woe to you. There's no more invitation there's no more consolation. This isn't even confrontation. 
Uh, this is the verge of excommunication. I'm telling you right now, the line is drawn. You are underneath the judgment of God right now. That's woe to you. And then the silent treatment. Nothing more to say. You are judged. Well, that's a frightening place to be. But you can also see how slow, how slow this is to discern what's going on in someone's other, uh, soul and what's going on in our soul. Now, all of us, I would say, uh, um, simpletons, simpletons, James and John, are able to do evil. They're able to scoff and mock Samaritans won't give Jesus a place to stay. What's the first reaction of James Simpleton, James and John? They just completely move over here. You want us to kill them in the name of God, Jesus? We'll do it right now. I don't even know what to do with that. I'm being very honest. I do not know. I can't get my head around. That's, they are ISIS terrorists. I'm not, even, I'm not trying to be clever. I, I'm not trying to exaggerate. I'm saying they are young men ready to strap on arms in the name of God. And all Jesus had to do was say yes, and they would have done it. I don't know how they get to walk with Jesus the next day, except that when they went to the place of a scoffer, the delight, they would have delighted to kill Samaritans. They would have loved it. Right? The pleasure of evil. When they went to that place, Jesus confronted them and they wilted back and surrendered. That's what showed that they're not a true scoffer in their soul. But it is a reminder <laughs> that all of us can go there. You know, all of us can go to these places. And so to finish up our, our, our couple minutes here, let's just remember the wise welcome of God's grace to all of our souls. Proverbs 1, 22 and 23. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. The promise, the invitation is even for the scoffer, uh, the ongoing provision of the welcome of God, even though there's boundary, uh, there's still opportunity for someone to turn. What does all this mean? Finally, can I just tell you the welcome you're meant to experience? You're meant to experience the sweetness of wisdom. This is how God created you and me. We weren't meant to experience the reactivity of the fool, the clueless, gullible damage that simpletons do. We weren't meant to experience the pleasure of meanness of scoffers. We were meant to experience peaceableness, gentleness, openness to reason, fullness of mercy, impartiality, sincerity, peace. We're meant to experience people who hear us, who see us, who welcome us, who are able to listen to us, 
who are able to talk back in conversation with us without reacting and destroying us. We're meant to receive hospitable presence and experience the welcome of wisdom so that we would experience pleasing things to our soul and that we could learn and grow. That's what we're meant to experience in Christ. This is the welcome he gives us. Well, why don't we pause there and I'll pray. Lord, we're asking for the grace to, to receive how you welcome each condition of soul, for the grace to see these conditions within each of us. Forgive us for our folly. Forgive us for rushing to the scoffer's way. Oh, forgive us for our gullibility. Oh, Lord, reorient our hearts in Christ to what is wise and good. We ask this in your precious name. Amen. I, I'm, thank you. Thank you. Copyright 2018 IBCD. All rights reserved. More free resources are available on our app and at ibcd.org.